and welcome to the Millennial Health Podcast. I'm Dr. J. Cherie Allen, a board-certified family medicine physician who's passionate about the health of my fellow millennials. I know we're booked and busy, but your first wealth is your health. So I'm taking some of my most important health messages and bringing them here to you on this podcast. So last episode, we talked about the top 10 health issues affecting us as millennials. And number one on that list was depression. I made a promise to you and I'm keeping it. So today's episode is all about depression, but I've decided to bring a very special guest to join us, Dr. Claudine Jones-Born, a psychiatrist from New York City who happened to have been my big sib in medical school. Hey, I'm here. Thank you so much for having me, Jay. I'm so excited to be on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. So we have come such a long way from our days in medical school. We are fully fledged in our careers. I'm in Mm -hmm. family med, you're in psychiatry, and I'm so happy we can come together and talk on this really important topic. But first, I'd like for you to tell us a little about your background and how you even became interested in psychiatry and more so so this topic of depression. uh, Background a little bit short so I could dive right into depression. But uh, like you mentioned, we were uh, I don't we weren't classmates. We were little, little sibs and big sibs at Meharry. So I went to Meharry. And um, if anyone went to med school or if you didn't go to med school, the way it was structured when we went there was you did uh, like book classes at first. And then you did all of your uh, on the on the job training your third and fourth year. So your first and second year, you only did book work. And honestly, not to offend anyone else's specialty, but everything else bored the mess out of me. I don't know whether I'm a narcolept or what, but I could not stay up <laughs> for anybody's class. Uh, maybe it talks about me, but but it could, might also talk about the, the subject of psychiatry. Because <laughs> one of the classes that I was the most enthralled in happened to be my behavioral health classes and my psychiatry classes. And I said, you know what? I think of all the things that it's grabbing my attention. This is, I think this is the, what's for me. Um, you know, coming from a background, being an African-American, uh, there's so much stigma around mental health. And so mm-hmm. whenever I would tell people I want to be a psychiatrist, Absolutely. it always boiled down to, don't you want to be a real doctor or some other ignorant stuff someone would say. And I had some of that internalized. Uh, so I said, you know, I, I'm not going to say that I 100% want to be a psychiatrist until I do my rotations. Did my rotations and I loved it. So I was basically hooked. And another thing was that there was a need. Like right now, psychiatry seems to be a hot specialty for uh, people uh, trying to do their res, yeah, trying to apply to residency. But before, I don't think it was as exciting or sexy. And um, I saw that there was a need, a void in that specialty. And I felt like I was equipped to to meet that void. And also there's a thing about when it comes to stigma and when it comes to kind of trying to bridging the gaps of stigma, there is some uh, validity to seeing someone that looks like you in the office and that being helpful, I think for any specialty, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think especially in psychiatry, there, there weren't enough, there weren't enough people of color 
uh, in the specialty. I would say even our year mm-hmm. uh, that I graduated, I was the only person of color in my class that went into psychiatry. And if you count everyone in my class that went oh, into wow. psychiatry in general, it was about two or three of us. And so this is just to, you know, give oh, you an example oh. of like, you know, this is the, you know, historically black uh, mm-hmm. college, medical school, and mm-hmm. we're only putting out two psychiatrists um, a year or three or four, you know, not, not as many as like nowadays, uh, some of the top universities are putting up up to like 10 to 20 applicants in a class, uh, for psychiatry. So it it is, I think it is a growing field. I think it's very exciting. Uh, and I didn't get to grow to appreciate like Mm -hmm. how exciting and how many options and everything that just was available to me once being a psychiatrist. So I'm very happy with my choice. And I love that you're saying that because I think there's some stigma on the medical end, but that also exists on the end of our patients and even feeling afraid to approach a psychiatrist or how do I even get in touch with a psychiatrist, you know? So I really love that we're having this conversation. So not just the medical side, but to break down the barriers and let patients know you're accessible, you understand, you're fun, and kind of take away some of the stigma that unfortunately psychiatrists have. So that's why I I always like Mm to do like sessions like this whenever I can um, just talk to people about talk Mm -hmm. to people about general psychiatric conditions and kind of break down some of that stigma through education, but also um, talking to people that I can relate Mm -hmm. with and that you can trust and that I feel would trust me because I think that makes the difference to hearing it from someone that you feel like you can trust, you can relate to. You're more apt to to hear the message, no matter how much education Mm -hmm. is being pushed forward. I think, yeah, I think when someone that, that you can relate so to is, is relaying the message, that, that happens to be the key factor. So tell us now a little about depression. Are you seeing oh. this in your practice? And <laughs> like, what's going on with this here? It's number yeah, one I mean, on it's, this it's list number of one, top it's 10 number issues one, um, affecting millennials. So depression is, is, is bread and butter for psychiatrists, like. It's, it's the most common. So we have to know uh, how to treat depression, how to diagnose depression, you know, what to, what to say about it, that you have to, you have to get that down uh, because it's, it is the most common thing. And like, um, I'm looking at some stats from the NIMH and they said an estimated 17.3 million adults in the United States at least had one major depressive episode. So it, it affects- wow. I mean, you might as well just round it up and say it affects like one in 10 people. It's significant. And even globally, I'd seen some stats globally, too. I think around 260 um, million uh, people, I think, is the World yeah. Health Organization's number. And the now. biggest thing is uh, was what you had spoke about in the in the other podcast was just... Um, I forgot how they how they worded it, but um, the WHO said depression is now the leading cause of disability worldwide and is a major contributor to the overall yeah, exactly. global and, and, burden. And that's of a, that's the thing that mm-hmm. the, the reason why it is such um, such an important illness to understand is because it affects every part of your life. So just think about something that affects every part of your mm-hmm. life and is that's also so, so common. Um, and also debilitating, it, you know, it could be catastrophic. That's why those numbers came out the way it did, where it was like major depression has the highest burden of disease. And I, I, I don't think people appreciate mm-hmm. 
you know how debilitating it is, especially if you haven't um, experienced yourself or if you're associating major depression as just like just feeling down sometimes. It's, it's, it's a little different. So speaking of that, tell us what exactly should we be looking for? What are some yeah, of the signs? Um, some, of some, some of the symptoms are, you know, things that I think most people could, can can relate to in terms of like when they hear depression, you think of low mood and feeling sad. So that that is one of the criteria. Like you have to have low mood. Um, but the other ones are not as, as straightforward. And, and honestly, um, someone could have almost every symptom of depression and not even know that they were depressed. Sometimes when they figure out what's going on, it's like a, a car hit them. Like, oh man, that's what was happening? I thought something else was going on. Mm-hmm. Diagnostically, you have to have it for at least two weeks. Um, but I could tell you just one one mm-hmm. day or two days of feeling um, depressed is enough. <laughs> when it, you know, if it comes on, it comes on. It's like <laughs> say that again. Two weeks is a lot to deal with. But diagnostically, <laughs> you look for two weeks and um, we're looking for I think you have to have it. I don't want to get into specifics because y'all aren't diagnosing anybody. But let me just get into what the mm-hmm. symptoms are. Mm-hmm. So low mood is one. Um, mm-hmm. Changes in sleep. And it's not just decreased sleep, sleeping too little or sleeping too much. Uh, changes in appetite, both uh, eating too much or eating too little. Then we also have changes in concentration. Um, you're not able to focus. Things are kind of foggy. You're not sure what's going on. That's a symptom. Uh, we call it anhedonia. And what anhedonia is essentially is you're losing pleasure in or enjoyment in activities or things that you used to do that you once enjoyed doing. Um, so not, you, you're not, you don't want to go mm-hmm. to the class anymore. You don't want to hang out with friends anymore. Or when you do hang out with them, it's not as fun or enjoyable. You know, you don't even want to, you, you want to just stay in that kind of that withdrawn, that withdrawn stuff. Um, another thing is guilt, feeling really guilty. Blaming yourself. Yes, yes, uh, yes. I think that's, that's one a lot of people one. don't even associate with unless mm-hmm. they're, you know, really down in, in, in the throes of it, that it, it really comes out. But feeling really guilty, like this is all my fault. Everything is my fault. Um, hopelessness and helplessness comes along with that. Um, when Then we also have mm-hmm. suicidal ideation. So thinking about having thoughts of wanting to kill yourself. And it and and some and for some people it doesn't come in the form of uh, I want to kill myself I want to do this that or the third to myself a lot of people it comes in the form of I would be better off dead we would still call that kind of like suicidal ideation depending on who you talk to they would still call that um, suicidal ideation so that also would count even if you don't want to actively kill yourself having these deep desires to to want to be dead is is also um, a criteria. Um, for depression, low energy, uh-huh. low energy is a big, is, is uh-huh. a big one. Speak on it. I can't tell you about the number of patients I've seen that come in and they're just like, I don't really know what's wrong, but I just, I have no energy. Mm. Like, could you check my thyroid? Like, could you, you know, and, you know, you definitely, and, you know, from my standpoint in the primary care setting, I want to do due diligence and rule out, you know, other physical causes of, you know, low energy or fatigue, you know, but honestly, when I put the whole history together for some people, I'm like, "Mm, 
And tell everybody what a PHP-9 is, too, because some people may not be familiar with that. So that's a screening tool that your doctors will use for uh, depression. There are a few other screening tools out there, too, like Edinburgh and stuff. There's quite a few. But in our clinic, we're, mm-hmm. we use the PHQ-9 most And often. The, the other symptom that I also mm-hmm. wanted to mention was um, feeling slowed and for some people feeling like agitated or restless. Uh, those, those, those also mm-hmm. accompany it. And aside from the symptoms of depression... Something that goes hand in hand with depression is anxiety. And for some people, yes. they find it easier yes, to say that yes. they're anxious than to say that they're depressed. But usually they're both. Yeah, or, I find um, that too. And it's, and, it's, and it's a fine line. Mm-hmm. Some people are, are depressed because they're anxious and some people are anxious because they're depressed. So I think that that goes hand in hand as well. But whenever someone comes in with depression, I, I always assess for anxiety because that, yeah, that almost that's most well. of the time accompanies mm-hmm. it. To an extent, I'm really much a, uh, a proponent of mm-hmm. making sure that all of all of the people that I see or recommending treatment for get the medical workup before I really delve into deep with the medications. So if you're if you are if you meet criteria, mm-hmm. yes, I might start medications for you. But even with the medication started, I need you to check, like you said, check if your thyroid is fine, um, check if you have diabetes, um, check if you. Check if you're anemic. Mm, check anemia. if you have uh, vitamin instabilities. Mm-hmm. You would not believe with what uh, vitamin D, um, vitamin B12, yeah. yes, uh, magnesium. Mm-hmm. Looking into those, so I always rule out. I always rule out the medical that's causes uh, first. So that's the. I think that's the keystone of treatment is to rule out what's mm-hmm. medical. Then you get into we may or may not recommend medications based on what's going on. The best treatment of choice is medications with therapy, especially if you have moderate to severe depression. And that's usually determined by some type of rating scale. Like we have you answer a few questions, see where you are on the scale, and then say moderate to severe or whatnot. That's just for us to have a gauge. Now that we're talking about treatments too, there was a statement that made it to the press a few weeks back that I definitely wanted to address as well. Especially with us having this conversation, you as a psychiatrist and myself as a family physician in primary care, you know, there was a uh, celebrity who mentioned that your... um, the primary care doctor should not be managing your um, antidepressants uh, if you happen to be <laughs> on that podcast. Um, a, I don't agree with that because uh-huh. I'm in New York City. There's psychiatrists everywhere. Here we go. I am in, in rural Minnesota. Minnesota. We do not, there are not have psychiatrists There, aren't, there are hardly any psychiatrists around. And who do you think are going to write these prescriptions when people need mm-hmm. them? There has to be someone to, to, you know, fill these medications for them. And honestly, in these places where they don't have an abundance of psychiatrists, primary care physicians have been and will continue to be the ones that prescribe these medications. In fact, I think primary care specialists prescribe more antidepressants than we do. Can I insert like a clap here or something? And I do want to jump in and say that we do receive adequate training on managing depression in our patients. We absolutely do. And I would really hate for people to continue to suffer and go without the help that they need. Because like you said, everyone has a, Mm -hmm. everyone who is a primary care specialist has a certain level of training to, to treat the basics of 
of most mm-hmm. of, 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 of most uh, ailments and depression is included. So you all have enough uh, training mm-hmm. to start an SSRI, but but you also do have enough training to know like, Excellent. oh, this person is not responding and I don't know what to do next. I need to consult yes. a psychiatrist. Girl, when I say I keep yeah. all booked and busy, that's when we get I business. do. And that's the person, whoever, <laughs> I you know, I'm, I live under, you I know. live under a rock that's under a box that's like in a time capsule. So I don't even know who said this, but whoever said this also doesn't know about all the initiatives. I mean, all the initiatives that are going on what we call um, integrated mm-hmm. care. And trust yeah. me, we know to do that appropriately. So it was more just the PSA out there for all of our listeners that please don't shy away from whatever doctor you have contact with. We are more than willing to help you. And if we're not the person you need, your doctor will certainly yeah. get you yeah. to the help that you do need. All right. But Claudine, so I know Mm -hmm. we've had quite a spirited conversation here on uh, depression, but what are some big pearls or the major takeaways? Number one, you, you want to rule out a medical reason. So make sure that in addition to going to the psychiatrist, you also went to your primary care doctor and got and and received all the labs um, that you can, uh, that, you know, would be related to, to me would be related to mental health. So they should know what it, they should know what they are. It would be their standard labs, but I would also ask for a vitamin D, a B12, mm-hmm. uh, and a magnesium. Mm-hmm. I would, I would just add those on if they, if they aren't already mm-hmm. doing that. And also, um, mm-hmm. a thyroid test, but that that's usually standard. Uh, another take home is that even, even if you don't identify as, as being depressed, if you've feel like you have any combination of those symptoms that I mentioned with or without, you know, you thinking that you have low mood or not, I would, I would consider the possibility of it being depression um, and talk to your doctor about it. So if you feel like you have decreased sleep or increased sleep and, and you feel low energy and you're irritable and you don't know what's going on, it, it might be worth talking to your doctor about it. Not necessarily going in and say, oh, you know what? I, I think I'm depressed. But at least having that conversation and that dialogue so that they can they can help you with the next steps. One thing I, I don't want people to always think is like, if I have a psychiatric illness, that means I have to be on medications. Uh, that That's not true. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be on medications. And mm-hmm. uh, before you get on any type of medication, I think you should talk uh, with your doctor fully about your options because a lot of cases of depression can be treated with therapy and therapy alone. And with that, you know, don't be scared of therapy. Say that Do again. Not be scared of therapy. And oh my god! The biggest thing I'll say about therapy, because I have various opinions about therapy. The main, <laughs> the main things that uh, affect whether or not therapy will work, and I think that's what people are worried about. Like, will it work for me? Is it even right for me? First, you have to buy what they're selling. I don't. Th- I don't know if that makes any sense, but. Um, you cannot go into the, into the therapist's office, like this is never going to work and then expect that this, this person is going to make it work for you. You have to go in with the attitude, like (laughs) maybe this will help or like have some type of inkling that, you know, this is going to go in that direction. Um, open mind, open mind. That's what we call it. Open Open mind. mind. That's a, that's a good way of conceptualizing it. And the next thing that I think is even more important than than the open mind is that you have rapport 
and 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 in other words, that you have a good relationship with this person. I think that is actually the number one predictor of whether or not a therapy will be effective. Not how skilled the therapist is, not what type of therapy it may be. As long as you have a relationship, a trusting relationship with this provider. But I um I encourage patients though, you know, in having an open mind to not uh jump to oh that we don't connect or we don't click or we don't, you know, as a defense, you know, against like giving it a try. That's the one thing I do kind of caution people about. Like if you don't vibe, you don't vibe, you know, that's what it is. That's it. If they're not culturally competent, if they're not respectful, you know, if they're not honoring your story and what you come to the table with, like I completely agree, but don't use it as a reason to say like, well, whether you're treating depression or any other psychiatric condition, the, the, the treatment shouldn't be happening to you, right? You should be active in it. So mm-hmm. you don't have to stay with the provider. Like, you don't have to stick with that psychiatrist. Not not unless that's, like, the only psychiatrist around. You might have to deal with it until you can find someone else. But if you have options, you don't have to let the tra- the, the treatment be done to you. And that maybe that was a, a Freudian slip trauma. Because it can be traumatic that you feel like, these things have to be done to you. Like if treatment is going the right way, you are the quarterback mm-hmm. of that treatment. You are the one calling the shots. It should not be these things happening to you. You should mm-hmm. be the one saying like, you know, I don't think this therapy is going the way I want it. I I, I want to try something else. Or I don't know how I feel about that medication. Do, do Can you give me the guidance of how to wean it off and try something else? Like, I love that you say that because I encourage... Uh, patients to be their best advocate like your doctors will advocate for you but you will be your best advocate and that's one of the reasons why I launched this podcast in the first place right to share this information to allow us to be aware right of the information that's out there and one of the big things is like you you have a lot of say it's your body and it's your health you know and we really want you to take charge of that and own that But thank you, though, so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And guys, you know, though my goal here is to share some valuable information and draw awareness to some important health issues today, that being depression, I encourage you to consult your physician. And if you don't have a physician, you know I'm always going to put a plug in because I think you need one for personalized medical advice, all right? And I do hope this information was beneficial to you. If so, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, feel free to reach out on Instagram. I'm at your fave Dr. Friend. I'll definitely be tagging Claudine as well on this episode. Uh, Claudine has some interests that are very interesting. So I'll have you guys check her out on Insta. You know, I dabble in Twitter and Facebook, but really I'm at Instagram. All right. Thank you. Thank be you guys well, so everyone. much.